0: Welcome to the preaching podcast of Life Point Church. We're so glad you've joined us here. If you're ever in the Baton Rouge area, please stop by. We'd love to meet you. For more information on our church or Pastor Donovan, please visit our website at golifepoint.com. Well, tonight we're going to go back to Revelation Revealed. And we are in part, I think this is part 18. It's been a minute chapter 12. I'm trying to get to chapter 13, but I'm having a hard time getting out of chapter 12. But we are in the book of Revelation. And so I want to say a prayer and then we will jump right into this. Father, thank you so much for your faithfulness, for your word, your goodness. I pray God that you would show us things from this prophetic book, the book of Revelation tonight, God that Not only things to come, but how how that applies to us. Teach us, show us things. We ask it in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. Amen. All right. So let me do a little review and introduction. Like I said, it's been a minute. The book of Revelation alludes to the Old Testament over 800 times. And while we've seen how the book of Joshua is an incredible parallel to the book of Revelation, and if you missed that, go back and check it out in the podcast. It's Pretty phenomenal We also know that no other book in the Old Testament complements or even completes the book of Revelation like the book of Daniel. Really, you have to go back to the book of Daniel to get the book of Revelation. And that's especially true in dealing with the Great Tribulation and the beast. I mean, that's referring to Daniel's 70th week. So you've got to go back to the book of Daniel. Now... Although Revelation was written some 600 years after the book of Daniel, both the prophet Daniel and the apostle John saw at least nine identical things. They saw beasts rising out of the sea, a kingdom with ten horns known as the final kingdom, a time of trouble, we know this time to be the great tribulation, Daniel's 70th week, Michael the archangel involved in the tribulation, a man who takes over the city of Jerusalem, the same man uh, temporarily uh, prevails against the saints, this man is eventually defeated, they both see saints of the most high ruling on thrones, And they both see the Ancient of Days or Jesus Christ sitting on the throne as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So there's a lot of parallels. Maybe we should look at the book of Daniel next. It's just a thought. Don't get too excited, right? But we could go to the book of Daniel next. Now there are seven major players mentioned in Revelation 12 and in Revelation 13. We're we're dealing with these uh, tonight and the next week. The first five are found in chapter 12. The woman who is Israel, the dragon, who is Satan, the man-child, who is Jesus, Michael, the archangel, and the offspring of the woman who seems to be Gentiles who come to faith during the Great Tribulation. The next two are in chapter 13, the beast that comes out of the sea, who is the Antichrist, the beast that comes out of the earth, who is the false prophet that promotes the Antichrist. So let's jump back in here at verses 3 and 4 Of Revelation 12. Are you with me? Isn't this exciting? All right. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. Let's stop here. We saw from the first verse of chapter 1 that Revelation is packed with signs and symbols. This dragon is a sign, a symbol. The dragon represents who? The devil. Represents the devil. Now, the devil is not, you know, a, a red guy with a pitchfork and a tail. And horns, okay, necessarily, like your deviled ham package says he is. Y'all know what I'm talking about? My mom used to make deviled ham sandwiches, you know? That's like right next to spam in my book, you know? But we would have deviled ham, deviled ham sandwiches. And that, I always remember the little devil on the front of the deviled ham. Jonathan, that little, 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 is a white, you rip the paper off. I should have thrown a picture up there, man. It. it seems interesting. I see. I, I feel interest and hunger from the crowd out here. Maybe more hunger. Some of you craving devil ham. Since that, but it's it's more uh, symbolic. That and the devil does not look like a great fiery red dragon either, like smog. Or for some of the rest of you, Fergie. Okay, right. Uh, the language. Here describes the nature and character of the devil. He is a monster. Fierce. Ferocious. Vicious. Destructive. Dr. Ken Johnson says the dragon symbolically suggests fierce power and a murderous nature. The fullness of evil. I love the way David Jeremiah put it. The devil has a dragon heart. It describes his nature. And he has seven heads. Now, while heads and horns in the book of Revelation, the book of Daniel, have other meanings in those prophetic light uh, scenarios, I believe there's also a straightforward and obvious meaning here. The devil has an IQ. An intelligence quotient that is off the charts. He is the evil genius's evil genius. He was created not as an omniscient being, but as a highly intelligent being with the capability to learn and grow in knowledge. And he's been alive for millennia. He was at creation. Think about this. He masterminded and coordinated a revolt in heaven against the Most High God and convinced one-third of the angels to join Him. His tail swept them in, right? He's a smart cat. And then there's Adam. Adam was no slouch, y'all. We tend to kind of look at Adam as... Kind of a rocky figure, you know, like, duh, okay, you know, whatever, Eve, I'll eat the fruit. But he's not like that at all. He's created in the image and likeness of God. Adam was at the top of God's creation order. Adam is the son of God. Deer beget deer, fish beget fish, sheep beget sheep. God had a son. Adam was as much like God as was possible without being God. He was the Son of God. He was the Superman. He was what Friedrich Nietzsche called the Ubermensch, the Superman. He was the most spiritually astute and intelligent being in all of the universe. And he was given dominion over all of creation Including the devil. And yet, the seven-headed dragon convinced Adam to join his rebellion. Think about that. Here's the point. On this side of eternity, you and I are no match for the intelligence of the devil. You can't outsmart him. He was smart way back then. He's even smarter now. The dragon that we see in Revelation was wearing crowns on those seven heads. They're diadem crowns as opposed to Stephanos crowns. In other words, he had kingly authority. 2 Corinthians 4.4 says he's the god of this world. And he's a predator. He's compared to a roaring lion. The king of the jungle who roams about seeking whom he may devour. The the text says he has ten horns. Again, heads and horns and crowns, those things are symbolic in in the prophetic sense in these books. But I believe there's also another obvious meaning here. Horns on an animal also serve as a weapon. My uncle had a farm. My cousin Randy. You all ever heard of my cousin Randy? Uh, Uncle Raymond had a farm. My cousin Randy and I would go out to the farm, and, and and there was this vicious herd of cows that we would go kind of stir them up, and of course they would start chasing us. Like it didn't matter. Like they hated people. Like they hated us. We didn't do anything to them. We would just get out there and yell at them and scream. And here they'd come. Like they'd all herd up and just like they just start running, like snorting and stuff, chasing us. And we'd run. And we rode horses too. And we'd jump fences, and those cows would jump fences too from pasture to pasture. Jeez, we'd climb up trees to get away from them. And they had horns, okay? And, and sometimes we'd go out there and we'd, you know, we'd we let trays over there, but we'd, we'd cut the horns, you know, trim their horns back and all, because that would gore you, you know? Like, it's a weapon. Horns are weapons on animals. It's something they use offensively and defensively. And the devil has multiple effective weapons. He is an intelligent, brutal, lying, fierce, ferocious force to be reckoned with. He is a spiritual Goliath. And I might add, he's winning in this world. If you don't believe it, Now, I I use that in quotes. He is winning. If you don't think he is, you look at the wars around the world, the conflicts, you look at the addictions, you go to the halfway houses, you go to the mental hospitals, you look at the culture, you look at the brokenness, you look at the prejudice, you look at the division, the devastation, the sickness, the mental illness, the dysfunction, and you better believe he is winning. And the way we overcome him is not, here's the point, with our intellect. Or our material weaponry. So how do we overcome him? We're going to see this later in verse 11 of chapter 12. We overcome him by the word of our testimony and the blood of the Lamb. We put our faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. First John 5.4 This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. And he's no match for that. You hear what I'm saying? He's no match for the blood of the Lamb. He's no match for the weakest, newest believer who puts his faith and trust in Jesus. The devil's no match for that. They overcame. It didn't say the theologians overcame him with the word of their testimony and the blood of the Lamb. It doesn't say the old saints overcame him. I'm telling you the newest convert overcame him with the word of their testimony and the blood of the Lamb. Come on now. You can't outthink them. You're not too smart. You're, you're not, you're, you don't have the, the physical power, but you've got faith in Jesus, and that's all you need. Amen? That's all you need. 2 Corinthians 10, 4, and 5 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not material, but they are mighty through God. To the pulling down of strongholds. In other words, the devil's got forts and fortresses and strongholds. But somebody who puts their faith in Jesus, those those strongholds come crashing down. It's like shooting an ICBM into the middle of his bunker. And it's a bunker buster. It blows it up. He cannot stand when we... War, not after the flesh, but after the spirit. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down imaginations, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. You know, and like on a practical level, when those thoughts come against you, man. The devil's putting fear and doubt and worry. And, and, and insecurities are rising up. You can't fight thoughts with thoughts. you got to get some of the word in your mouth, and you got to speak the word against those thoughts and bring those strongholds down. No, devil, you're a liar and a thief. You see, my sin was forgiven. I am not held by condemnation and fear. I, I can do all things through Christ. He's forgiven me. I've got a future in Him. My future is brighter than my past. My future is not based on my past. It's based on what Jesus has done for me. And you talk to those things. That addiction can't come against me. Can't stand against me. These thoughts that are tormenting me, I cast them down in Jesus' name. I am the beloved of the Lord. I am complete in Christ. I'm fulfilled in Him. You've got to talk to those things, man. And the devil can't stand that. What, what are you doing there? You're pulling down strongholds. And, and the enemy is overcome by the word of our testimony. Word of our testimony. Saying the same thing that the word of God says and the blood of the Lamb. Are you with me? Isn't this exciting? Is this just plum exciting? Can I, is it plum exciting? This is plum exciting. Thank you, Brother Aaron. Woo. Now, the dragon's tail drew one-third of the stars of heaven. And I know we touched on some of this last time, but I've just kind of been in, the, did a deep dive on some of this stuff. The, the dragon's tail drew one-third of the stars of heaven, stars of heaven. And I believe this describes the portion of the angelic host that's in league with Satan. A third of the angelic host. And we know from other passages that speak of 10,000 times 10,000 and 10,000 of thousands. Uh, there are millions and billions of angelic creatures, beings. And, and so a third of them are in league with Satan. Millions and billions. But there's twice as many on our side. There's more with us than are with them. Now verse 9 speaks of his angels. They're called his angels. I believe this is referring back to when this first happened. In other words, I don't think this is necessarily saying that it was happening at the time John was seeing this. It's a reference back to what had happened at the fall of Satan. Now the woman, and that's going to make sense in a moment. Now the woman, as we saw, is Israel, the dragons, the devil. The woman was giving birth to a male child. Can you guess who the male child was? The male child, the woman, is Israel. The dragon's the devil. The male child would be Jesus. The male child. And we see Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a son is born. Unto us a child is given. We quote this at Christmas. The government shall, the government shall be on his shoulder. He shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Now, the devil, and this is fascinating to me, and all the hosts of hell were waiting for the woman to give birth to the child so they could devour the child, kill the child. I've said this before. You've heard me say it. In John 8, Jesus said the devil was a murderer from the beginning. He inspired people to try to kill the seed of the woman from the very beginning. For 4,000 years, he seized every opportunity to kill what he perceived and calculated to be every candidate who could possibly be the seed of the woman. He didn't miss an opportunity. From the get-go, he inspired Cain to kill Abel. And in so doing, knocked both of them out of contention. They had to be thinking one of them would be. The Lord didn't say, The woman's going to have a child in 4,000 years. All they heard was, The woman's going to have a child that will break the lordship that Satan enjoyed after the fall of Adam. And so they had to be thinking, here's a child, first child born, Cain. Second child born, Abel. The devil inspires Cain to kill Abel. Trying to kill the seed of the woman. The dragon waiting. Do you you catch the picture there? The dragon waiting for the woman to give birth. The devil inspired Esau to attempt to kill Jacob. That, That wasn't just Esau's idea. It was a plot by the seven-headed dragon to kill the seed of the woman. The devil inspired Joseph's brothers to try to kill him. That was a demonic plot, a satanic plot. He inspired Pharaoh to kill the baby boys born in Goshen. Listen to this one. He inspired Saul to try to kill David, who is the royal line through which Jesus would come, Jesus is called the son of David. The devil inspired Saul to try to kill David. He inspired Herod to try to kill Jesus as a child. When Jesus preached his first sermon, he inspired the people to try and throw him off a cliff. Why? The seven-headed dragon was trying to immediately devour the child. And on the Friday evening... When they took Jesus' limp and lifeless body off the cross, there was a party in hell because the devil thought he had done it. And you know what? He had. He had killed the seed of the woman. And Jesus said, the will of your father to the religious Jews, he said, you will do it. You will accomplish it. But I love the way Skip Heitzig puts it. The devil did not read the fine print. You see, Jesus had said, I have the power to lay my life down. But in the fine print, he said, and I have the power to raise it back up again. I mean, destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up. And on that Easter Sunday morning, the party in hell was over, and the party in heaven was just beginning. Amen? Because of the fine print, I'll raise it up. So let's go back to Revelation 12, verse 5. She bore a male child who was to rule... All nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and His throne. So Jesus would rule. The Greek here is a word that that means to shepherd, to pastor. He, He will shepherd, He will pastor, He will nourish. And He would do so with a rod of iron. And there's some prophetic word on this from Psalm 2, Revelation 19 mentions it. So at the time of this writing, iron was the strongest metal known to man. So Jesus is portrayed here as the shepherd, the the gentle but strong shepherd. The tender but powerful warrior. The shepherd king who knows how to take care of the pregnant ewe lambs, but who also is a giant killer. That's, that's the Jesus that we serve. I've told you before, you know, so many paintings portray Jesus as so soft. And, and, and there's some religious, you know, lingo that paints Jesus as just uh, soft and, and easy and, and just so, I don't know, flippant, whatever. But our Jesus is strong, man. Like our Jesus cares about us, takes care of his own. If you don't believe it, ask Saul of Tarsus who's persecuting the church. And Jesus confronts him. And we've seen that in other places too. He is a strong shepherd. He is for you. And, it, and no wonder the scripture says, if he's for you, who could be against you? Because he's a strong shepherd. He's a giant killer. Amen? He's the giant killer. And now, this also speaks of Jesus' ascension. He's caught up into heaven. And so, verse six. Then the woman fled into the wilderness, where she was. She has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there. Listen, one thousand two hundred and sixty days. Now that is going back to the idea of Daniel's seventieth week. This is the last half of the two hundred or of the uh, three and a half year period. The woman is Israel. And she was persecuted. This is interesting to me. Are you with me? She was persecuted, Israel was, prior to the birth of Jesus. You know, the more revelation came, the more specific the devil got in his attacks. He went after Cain and Abel. Eventually, he goes after Abraham. Abraham. And then there's Isaac and Jacob. Esau is provoked to try to kill Jacob. And then we see where the... the so it's, it's been narrowed down to a family, the family of Abraham. And then it's, it's Jacob who becomes Israel. Israel has his sons. They're going to become the 12 tribes of Israel. But we don't know which one through whom the Messiah, the seed of the woman, will come until eventually find out, Sabrina, that it's that it's Judah. Judah is going to be the tribe through which the Messiah comes. The tribe, the royal tribe, the tribe of Judah. And so as it gets more and more specific, the devil's attacks get more and more specific. And so we see where Israel is persecuted for millennia. We see where Israel is, the devil comes against Israel time and time again Why? Because he's trying to get the seed of the woman. He's trying to stop that plan from coming to pass. But this that we just read, this speaks of Israel, the enemy coming against Israel during the Great Tribulation. We're going to get into some of this deeply. But but check this out. She was persecuted prior to the birth of Jesus, Israel that is, but this speaks of Israel being persecuted during the Great Tribulation. So Israel was persecuted up until the birth of Jesus and is still persecuted to this day. Do you realize what happened in Pittsburgh last week? At a synagogue. The anti-Semitic spirit, right, is still alive and well. You look at that little narrow, tiny country of Israel and and all hell seems to come against that little tiny nation even today. Valerie and I, I'm just like being, okay, here's a little story for you. Valerie and I were in New York City. We went to see Fiddler on the Roof. Okay, that's a very, anybody ever seen Fiddler on the Roof? We went and saw it on Broadway. It was really cool, this little off-Broadway, Broadway theater. is was really neat. Amazing production. And and there were yarmulkes and, uh, I mean, there were Jewish folks all up in that theater. And this man comes and sits next to us, right next to me, okay, right next to me. He smells bad. It doesn't look like he's taken a bath in days. He looks Middle Eastern. I don't know how else to describe it. He's not having a skullcap thing on. And he, uh, he comes and sits. He smells bad. And he's got a big... Backpack that seems to be just packed full, oh, like super full, strangely full. And you know what I'm thinking? Dead gum. You got to be kidding me. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I'm doing the whole like, you know, if you see something, say something. You know, like I'm like, <laughs> I'm just telling you, man. I'm like, should I say something? Like, I was a little freaked out, right? It's like big old Jewish uh, production, Jewish people everywhere. And this guy with the full backpack, smells bad, smells like he has nothing to lose. And and he sits right next to this Gentile boy, you know, just sits right next to me. And I'm like, well, you know, like, goodbye, world, goodbye. <laughs> you know, like, oh, don't you weep for me when I'm gone. And so... <laughs> But nothing happened, then I felt like I'm judgmental and you know uh, against this poor fella, and I should have witnessed to him, but the whole time I was just kind of always looking at him, you know, like, what's he doing? But anti Semitism is, is alive and well. And so you you would think that once the seed of the woman was born, the devil would forget the woman and go for the Christ. Go for the seed of the woman. And, and he did that. And then, as we said, Jesus rose from the dead. So, then the devil went after the body of Christ, the church, and has persecuted the church uh, for millennia. But the devil still goes after Israel. My question is why? And here's why. Because Israel is still in the plans and purposes of God. God is not done with Israel. I mentioned this early on. If the devil can destroy Israel he thinks he can still prevent the plans and purposes of God from coming to pass and thus, in a sense, defeat God. So 1,260 days or three and a half years is this reference to the last part of Daniel's 70th week. So Israel is still involved in the plans of God at Daniel's 70th week at the Great Tribulation. The enemy wants to destroy Israel. Israel still has significance. Guzik puts it like this. Since Revelation 12:5 describes the ascension of Jesus and Revelation 12:6 describes yet to occur events in the 70th week of Daniel, between these two verses lies hundreds of years. This obvious near far break in time is typical of Bible prophecy. Daniel's 70th week prophecy has such a break, you can look at it in Daniel 9 24 through 27. Actually, the first six verses of Revelation 12 cover from the fall of Lucifer until the millennial reign of Christ. So it's like redemption story in this very extremely abbreviated form. So it's fascinating to me that Satan is still trying to destroy Israel. Israel will flee into the wilderness where God has prepared a place for her now, this is the same Greek wording as John 14 when Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. This demonstrates that God is carefully planning future works on the earth as well as in heaven. Reminds me of when God sent Elijah to the widow of Zarephath, God said, I have commanded a widow to take care of you. I'm going to be preaching about that story Sunday. He had prepared a way for Elijah to be taken care of. Now, let's look at verses 7 through 9. Are you with me? And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the red uh, dragon. The red dragon. I want to say that. With the red dragon. I'm I'm going to go ahead and say it. (laughs) And the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail. Nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out. Listen to these words. That serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Now, this does not seem to be, and this is, Maybe new information here. This doesn't seem to be referencing the original rebellion in heaven. This is a war that takes place at the midway point of the great tribulation. So God will begin this fight in the heavenly realm, and then he will take it to the earthly realm. Now, we should note, this is not a battle between God, per se, and the devil, as if they are equals. God has no counterpart. This is a battle between Lucifer and Michael and their forces. And and why that is, I have no idea, but that's what the text is saying. Here are some questions Guzik brings us out. Number one, why is this battle fought? Well, in a previous scene of conflict between Michael and Satan, which the strange little book of Jude that we've looked at before, Jude verse 9, talks about it. Satan wanted to prevent... He was trying to steal the body of Moses. Go look that up. That's just awesome stuff. Because... He knew God had plans for a resurrected and glorified Moses. We see this in Luke 9, 30 through 31. Uh, And so here's another occasion where Satan wants to get in the way of God's plan for the end times. So that's one of the reasons the battle is fought. When is the battle fought? The battle occurs at the midpoint of the seven-year period described by Daniel as the 70th week of Daniel. At that time, Michael shall stand up. Daniel 12, 1 says this. The great prince who stands, watch over the sons of your people. Michael's the angel that seems to look after Israel. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered. And then how is the battle fought? Third question here. We know this is a real fight, but it's not a material or spiritual battle. It's a spiritual battle. This is a battlefield of truth versus deception, fear versus faith. And, and so, that is the how it's fought. And it's in the angelic realm. And whether the angels materially fight, however that works, I have no idea. I see them with lightsabers, you know what I'm saying? Like flying all over the place. I love the second stanza of Martin Luther's song, A Mighty Fortress Is Our God. And though this world with devil's field should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. I love that. I love that. No, nor was there a place found for them in heaven any longer this shows us that up until this happens at the midpoint of Daniel's 70th week Satan does have access to heaven so he does today to this day he does and there he accuses God's people before the throne we see this in Job 1, 6 through 6-12 Revelation twelve ten. some think that uh, Satan cannot get into the heavenly realm or in the presence of God because God doesn't allow unholy things in his presence well look around right I'm glad he allowed me in his presence when I was unholy. Amen. So the devil can appear on earth. We see this in the temptation of Jesus where he shows up, shows him things, takes Jesus up to the pinnacle of the temple. He's described as the the prince and power of the air. So he can manifest on earth. He can fly in the air. And he has access to heaven where he accuses God's people before the throne. And in this verse... He's called the dragon, the old serpent, the devil, Satan. And it says he deceives the whole world. 1 John 5, 19 says that the whole world lies in the embrace of the devil, the evil one, the wicked one. The devil's, again, vicious, an accuser, an adversary, a liar, a deceiver, a trickster. The devil is from the Greek word diablos, and it means to defame, to slander. He's the master slanderer, the accuser. Of the brethren, and he's cast to earth. And here's the deal: if you want to hitch your wagon to the devil, you go ahead. But I'm telling you, it's a downward spiral. He's he's gone from where he was as Lucifer, the archangel, to he has access to heaven. But soon he'll be cast from that realm to the earth only, restricted not just to the air and not just to the earth, but eventually he's going to go into the bottomless pit. And then he's going to go from the bottomless pit into the lake of fire, which is the second death. He's on a downward spiral. But thank God Jesus got up, rose from the dead, is alive, exalted forevermore. You hit your wagon to Jesus, and you ain't going nowhere but up. Amen? He is the ultimate winner, and he's got it all under control. And then I heard verses 10 and 11, a loud voice in heaven say, So this is awesome. I love the loud voices in the book of Revelation. They're they're like really, really loud. They're mega voices. Really, really loud. You know I could go get my megaphone, but I won't do that. They're really loud. And so he hears this loud voice in heaven. Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. Really, there are three keys to the saints' victory over Satan. And that would be the word of our testimony, the blood of the Lamb, and loving not your life unto death. Did not Jesus the Master say, If you want to find your life, lose it. If you want to gain your life, lay it down. And these were people that continually over and over laid their lives down. So they were laying their lives down. Jesus was picking them up. Satan and followers of Satan, they lift themselves up, but they get cast down. I want to follow Jesus. And the way you follow Jesus is the humble road. The low road. You lay your life down. You, you, you put your plans aside. You say, not my will, but your will be done. And you put His word in your mouth instead of your words in your mouth. His thoughts in your mind instead of your thoughts in your mind. You, you reach for the, the, the high thoughts and high ways of the Lord instead of the low thoughts and low ways of man or the enemy or this flesh or this world. You reach for those high words and high thoughts and high words. And, and, and you put them, you replace, it's a humbling road. The way to victory is through humility. I'll close with that. The way to victory is through humility. People say, man, I wish I could overcome this addiction. I wish I could overcome this financial setback. I wish I could overcome this in my family. I wish I could overcome this from my past. The, the, the way to overcome is to come well, the, the low road, the humble way, Father, I I bow my knee before you. I can't break this on my own, but I thank you for a cross. I thank you for a finished work. I thank you that I'm the set free. I don't have to set myself free. You've already done it. Now, it doesn't feel like it, nor does it look like it. But whom the Son has set free is free indeed. That will be my confession. I put my confession, my faith, my trust in what you did on the cross. And and you just, that's humility. That's taking the low road. That's the way to overcome. You overcome by the blood of the Lamb, the word of your testimony, and you lay your life down. You lay your life down. Oh, Let's look at verse 12. Yeah, yeah. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you. Having great wrath because he knows that he has a short time, so there's difficult things that are going to take place. The wrath of Satan is going to be unleashed. Uh, just he's going to come down. he knows his time is short. We tend to say that now. you know we're like, the devil knows his time is short. he's keen to prophetic ideas and events and whatnot. Stand with me right now. but the the truth of the matter is. This is speaking of a specific time when the devil knows his time is short. He's been locked out of coming into the presence of God and accusing the brethren. And he knows his time is short, and so he's going nuts, wreaking havoc on the earth. And so you have an oive, a, a woe, pronounced on the inhabitants of the earth and the sea. Woe to you. The devil's come down with great wrath and fury. He knows his time is short. Listen, like we've said before, it surely is the first... Jesus came the first time. He's coming a second time. And as surely as he's coming a second time, these events will unfold as well. We say we believe the Bible. We might as well go ahead and embrace it all. I'm telling you, there's going to come an antichrist. We had elections yesterday. We had prayed over them Monday night at First Monday Prayer. I don't know if the elections went the way you wanted them to or not, but we prayed the will of God would be done. I'm going to tell you something. Whoever's elected, I want to say it matters. I believe it matters, and I believe doing all I can to... Make change in my world is positive. If I can do that politically, I'm going to do it. And I pray for politicians or people that are called to do that. But here's the deal ultimately, what's prophesied is going to come to pass. And the only thing that matters is not if you're an American, not if you're an English speaking American, not what race you are or what your culture or ethnic background may be what matters is did you did you hear the word did you bow the knee did you line your life up with what he said and commanded and demanded and, and, and did you did you accept the love man did you did you receive the gift that's what's going to ultimately matter and then just walking faithful man just walking faithful how many of you want to be an overcomer I don't want to just start this. I want to finish it. I don't want to just start it because I was raised around a family that believed it. I want to finish it because I got it for myself. And God put it deep in my heart. And I'm going to walk in this until the day I die or until the trumpet sounds. I want to be faithful. I want to be found faithful. Lift your hands to Him right now. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we've looked at the enemy tonight. And wow, he is strong. He's powerful. But God, I thank you that you've shown us that you are more powerful. Your strength is sufficient, Lord. We have weaknesses, but you have strength. You're our covenant partner, Lord. You're our healer, deliverer, savior. We look to you for all the answers. We thank thank you, you, Lord, for your faithfulness. We hope you were blessed by the preaching of God's word. For more information on our church or Pastor Donovan, or if you plan to attend one of our services, please visit our website at golifepoint.com.